You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Indians. It's me, Jeff Ellis, your host. Uh, previously, I was a dra- MLB draft and prospect specialist for 24-7 and scout before that. Now I get to talk Indians with you, all of you lovely listeners daily. Jam-packed show today. Let's be honest. Um, the name change stuff we'll dive into. We'll get into some history of recent names in Cleveland for sports. We're going to talk about the situation occurring over in Philadelphia and what that could mean for the Indians. And... We'll see from there. I feel like those two things will probably take up the whole show. This is also a reminder, Wednesday we have a special guest, a good friend of mine, and continuing to listen throughout the week. I'm also nailing things down to be on our flagship MLB podcast with Sully over there, so I will let everyone know as that occurs. So, which should be unsurprising information, the Indians are going to change their name. We all knew this was coming. They had to... Uh, they began with the, you know, the the ending of Chief Wahoo essentially, and have been slowly going to something. Now I've been very honest. I am for this. It's still, it's a hard thing. Let's be honest. Even if you look at it as something that needed to occur, which has always been my view, you know, I still we were putting up the Christmas tree. I have an ornament that has Wahoo on it. My wife's like, "Are we putting it up this year?" And I'm like, "No." I also can't throw it away because it came from a grandparent, and that's like. I think how this is for a lot of people, right? It's like, depending on your age, I mean, this has been their mascot for 106 years. I mean, I don't know how many 106-year-old Indians fans there are, but even something like Wahoo, let's see, Wahoo was originally, I believe I looked at this, like, in 48, right? Like, Wahoo came around, the Indians won a World Series and haven't won since. Like, I I tried to make a whole case that... uh, there's a curse of Wahoo because basically this team has been unable to seal the deal since they brought him in. First season, great. Since then, not so much. And Chief Wahoo was, during many bad times, uh, you know, a big part of the Indians. I feel like, you know, you go back and you look at Major League and he's featured prominently. In the 70s and 80s, I think that it really came to be the, you know, the Indians mascot. As you moved into the 90s, the Indians and the people there realized it was a bit problematic, and that's when you saw Slider come, who really has nothing to do with the Indians in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of one of the oddest mascot combinations, if we are being perfectly honest. But this has essentially been the the winnowing out of Wahoo has been since they moved into what is now Progressive Field, was once Jacobs Field. For anyone who is mad right now uh, at this choice, you have to realize this isn't just now. This has been a process that has been going on for a while. Again, starting with that when they moved into progressive field and really started pushing Wahoo out of center stage. He still appeared on stuff, but they were already starting to build alternatives. And to go back to the previous point, again, I'm not sitting here saying you have to be happy about it. And I can understand, especially for someone where this had a special place in your heart or you know, like I said, I have that ornament. I can't throw it away. My grandmother gave it to me. My grandmother's no longer alive. It means something to me. I also feel weird displaying it. You know, it reminds me of when I went to the South and uh, there was, for lack of a better word, a uh, racist kitsch that someone was proudly displaying, uh, like a, 
like a house that I walked through and I can't remember exactly what it was. It was some historical home that I wanted to view. And it it did really color my eyes on everything there. And, you know, even at the time, I was like, oh, this is not a cool choice. And that's where I kind of am. Like they said, I have, you know, in this case, it's this ornament. And I can't put it up anymore because Chief Wahoo's racist. That's just it. That's the end of the story. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a racist caricature of a Native American person. If Wahoo had never existed, there's a chance the Indians may not even change their name right now. But because the Indians have become so associated with Wahoo, that's what's going to push it out. And for anyone who wants to say it's not racist, just go and look at the comparisons with any other group. Uh, You know, there's been great things over the years where people have taken the image of Wahoo and shown what it would look like with various ethnic groups. It's it's racist, you know, just as the same way you go back and you look at things that were blackface um, and some of the Sambo ads and things like that. It's from a different era and we can look back and go, eee, and we need to move on. And I don't know, uh, you know, I, I think spiders would be interesting because it's original. I think guardians would be interesting because it has the nice tie to the city uh, with the statues there. I think that's a fun idea. I don't necessarily love the idea of the Cleveland baseball team. I know some people like that. I did want to bring up the last time the there was a naming in Cleveland because it is an interesting story. And that is with the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1970. Uh, there were five finalists for the name for the Cleveland Cavaliers that uh, they did a poll in the plane dealer and people got to send in nicknames and the Jays, the Foresters, the Towers, the Presidents, and the Cavaliers. And Jerry Tomko, who suggested Cavaliers, wrote, Cavaliers represent a group of daring, fearless men whose life pack was never surrendered, no matter what the odds. His son, by the way, Brett Tomko, future big league pitcher, just fun fact in that. But right now, uh, you know, that those names, I don't see any of those ones who didn't get the award there being the the new name for the the Indians. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they did that that way with the poll, and I think that is something to keep in mind because one of the things that was talked about when this story kind of broke today was the fact that the the fan, you know, I saw some people being like, "How do they not have a name in place?" I don't think it's a bad idea to not have a name in place to maybe do some kind of contest, poll people, do things, find a name that is going to be because this is going to be no matter what, like a hugely controversial move. There are people who are you know, Chief Wahoo foreverists. And there are people right now who are like spitting mad. And if you're one of those people and you're listening to the podcast, I am sorry that this affects you in that way. And I do feel bad that, you know, you're losing something that you feel that strong of a connection to. But I I do think it's necessary. But for the Indians, it makes sense to try to figure out something that works for people and works for the majority of people and to go out and get an interesting mascot. Now, I have often said I would love to see this just be a complete like soccer level sellout and become like the Cleveland Indian Coca-Colas or the Cleveland Indian Pepsi Colas or whatever, as long as that meant that they could get some extra money to spend on free agency. Because let's be honest, uh, we'll talk about the David Dahl uh, contract after the break, but boy, does this team need to get a new cash inf- uh, inf- infusion sooner rather than later. It's not pretty. You know, we'll talk about more about this name as we have more information. Bottom line, it was a change that was necessary. 
The story of Louis Sakalaxius, whose name I know I butchered, is likely false for the naming of this team. That's one of those things that over time, every article that I've seen dig into the name of the Cleveland Indians says it's a nice cover story, but that is not the true case of why the name of the Indians was chosen. They were just copying off of other uh, you know, top teams at the time, looking at their names and kind of just stole it. Uh, that, that's where the name came from. It wasn't about honoring a Native American player. Honestly, when the Indians came into existence, they would not have honored a Native American player. Uh, this is like pre-Jim Thorpe, where Jim Thorpe was still treated as a, uh, a lesser person at times because of his heritage. It was chosen because, uh, you know, the Boston Braves uh, were a popular team and a well-known team, and the Indians were copying, trying to build on that success. That is the truth of where the name came from, not so much the honoring of anyone else. And... With that, we'll we'll put a pin in it for now. We will come back and talk about it as more information comes. But that is my view. I, you know, it's even if you are 100% for the name change, it's still a significant part of your life if you've been Indians, an Indians fan. And again, if you are someone out there who hates this, I feel bad for you that it is having a negative effect. I honestly do. I'm not out here going yay in the streets. Um, because people are feeling bad. I'm saying yay in the streets because it's it's a nice thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But I do feel for those who had such a strong connection to the previous name. This show is able to stay on the air thanks to great sponsors like Built Bar. Uh, I've talked often about how great the Built Bar bars are. They recently just sent out their uh, their newest Built Bar Boost. So if you go there and check that out. Now I'm going to be real with everyone out there. In our first box, we got a whole bunch of Built Bar Boosts, and I did not like them at all. The original Boost was not for me. I could not get through them. These new ones are great. I've been going through them two to three a day. So on top of just the Built Bar in general, uh, which, again, mixed box, go there, figure out what you like. The Built Bar Boost has been a a real nice surprise. I've been adding it to my drinks and water, and I say this again as someone who uh, was not on board. Like, I tried these out, and yes, you can hear my cats in the background getting ready to have a war. But uh, I tried it out, kind of trepidatious, and it's great. Again, I went it totally flipped me around. And that's also what's nice about these bars now in general. They did a whole new brand switch recently, uh, I should say over the summer. The bars are better. The boost is better. Everything is better. It was already great. It was already something that I had done two orders of with the old way, and it's even better. And if you want to try all these better new products from Built Bar, go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. Get 20% off your order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Boosts, bars, the to-goes things, great things all around from Built Bar. And while I have you here, I do also want to do some uh, some cross promotion talk. The NBA, uh, on, the Lockdown NBA podcast is getting ready for the start of the regular season. I just saw yesterday the Cavs. I got an alert on my phone. I didn't even realize they were playing. They're gonna have a special week of the team preview podcasts all this week, plus waiver wire editions from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from Draft Guru Chad Ford. Make sure to check out the Locked On Cavaliers podcast here in Market if you want to know all about the new team. I saw that uh, the rookie Iraq, or I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to try. The new rookie small forward who's the fifth overall pick hit the game winner in their first preseason game, so go check that out as well. I teased early on in the show that uh, I, I couldn't not talk about David Dahl. Ugh. One year, three million. 
the Indians couldn't pull three million for one year out of their couch cushions. I know Dahl's had problems staying healthy. I know he had a down year last year. He's twenty six years old. <laughs> I mean, they were ready to pay Naquin like two million dollars, and Naquin is nowhere near a David Dahl, you know, two years ago. I don't know if everything's on hold until like they essentially figure out the Lindor situation, but they couldn't do one year three million dollars. I mean, they they couldn't pull that out. If you're like, well, is he from? No, he's from Alabama, which yes, is closer to Texas than say Ohio, but still, it's not like he took a hometown discount to go there. Former All Star, twenty six years of age, three million dollars, gaping need for the Indians. Ugh. So uh, James McCann also signed four years, a little more than forty million. Man, what a turnaround for a guy that was essentially let go by the Tigers. He's getting a lot of money. A good receiver behind the plate. Showed uh, some massive improvements as a hitter last two years. The Mets are paying that those are for real. I'm always nervous about late improvements in player life, as it were. I mean, he's not that he's necessarily an old man or anything like that, but you are looking at someone who is 30 years of age and essentially had his breakout at age 28. This does put a major hurting on the catcher market, and it's interesting the Mets went with McCann. A, that preserves a draft pick. B, it's cheaper. This was an easier sign. I don't know what Rio Muto's market is like right now. I don't know what that situation is, but there's not a whole lot else out there at catcher. And I think, again, with the Indians holding on to Bo Taylor, who is a, a quad A type, if we're being honest, I think... I think they're sitting there waiting to see who needs a catcher. Um, you know, I Hedges makes, for as much as people thought, let him go. Uh, there are not a lot of catchers on that mark on the market right now, and the Indians might just be holding on to a catcher to see if they can get some value later with them. Just keep that in mind. There were essentially two catchers on the market. One of them is gone. Kurt Suzuki is more of a platoon candidate. Um, some talk with him with the Angels as well right now. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a thin market. It's a thin position, beginning with the thinnest in baseball, but that is certainly interesting. Also with the Mets, after uh, Chernoff basically turned them down, they said, oh, we may not even have a GM. Well, Jared Porter was announced as their GM on a four-year contract. Comes over from the uh, the Diamondbacks. He was a finalist for the Angels as well. Very well thought of person, but it is a sudden about change that I had to mention because uh, he was the senior VP and assistant GM to Mike Hazen in Arizona. And it is after, you know, Chernoff was their guy. And then he was said no. And they're like, well, we're not going to have a traditional structure. And then they, they have. Uh, they went back and got him. So uh, I think it's a good pickup by them and certainly something to pay attention to. So I didn't talk about last week on the show just because Friday was all Rule 5 all the time. I didn't hear a lot from people. Uh, I know the weekend's kind of crazy, so let me know what you thought about the Rule 5 pick, uh, the Rule 5 draft in general, I should say. Uh, it was a little crazy with my Kai A. Tom Love. One of the things that was announced, Dave Dombrowski is uh, going to Philadelphia. Now, Philly is a weird situation, if we are being completely honest, because he is going there, and this is a guy who strip mines the majors, or I should say strips of mines, the minors, and then goes out and gets expensive guys from a major league roster. Uh, Philadelphia was rumored to be shopping 
Zach Wheeler on almost like a uh, just cutting money contract type of deal. They have a lot of big contracts. Uh, it's I don't know exactly basically what they can do right now. I don't know what their flexibility is. Uh, Bryce Harper is, you know, through 2031, has an average of 26, uh, 25 million, basically. Uh, it's 27 million from this point onward, 27 and a half. Zach Wheeler is at 22, 26, 24, 23. McCutcheon makes 20 million this year. Juan Segura has got basically 15 million the next two years with a buyout. Aaron Nola has 12 million, 15 million, and then a $6 million buyout. Scott Kingery's got a team friendly contract where it's four, six, eight, and then it jumps to 13, 14, and 15, all team options. But those, you know, those aren't cheap. Uh, Hector Norris is a 5 million. Vince Velasquez, 4.3 is a projection for him, 4.4 for. Zach Eflin, and for Reese Hoskins. They are a team that's got some money uh, locked up. Oh, yeah, and they're pl- uh, paying Odubel Herrera uh, 10.3 this year. This is the last year of his uh, with the organization. He has two team options after this. And there's also a $2 million buyout for Dave Robertson, a $5 million or a $250,000 buyout for Dave Phelps. Next year, they're going to have about $5.5 million in buyouts. They just have a lot of money on the books. And estimated payroll right now is at $151 million. I don't know how much more they can add. and But I also don't think you go out and get Dave Dombrowski, who a lot of teams wanted. I mean, he does build winners. They don't always win everything, but uh, he does get you there. And he's now in Philly, and he didn't go there just to be in a situation where he has to manage a payroll. So I think there's going to be some room. I would not be shocked if Riomuto resigns. I would not be shocked if he does not stay either, and they use that money elsewhere. So the natural question becomes, is there a world where an Indian's and Philly deal makes sense because Philadelphia is going to rip apart these minor leagues. Uh, there's not going to be anything left. And when you look at right now, their top prospect pool, uh, Bomb technically no longer qualifies. And I mean, he's pretty much slated to be their third baseman. I don't think he's really someone they would look to trade. Spencer Howard is slated to be their fifth starter. They don't have a lot of great depth beyond him. So I don't think he is out there either. It's, you know, looking at the fan graphs list right now, like they're, Eighth-rated prospect, Simon Matuzzi, I believe was unprotected in the Rule 5 draft. So this is, on top of everything else, Tombrowski is entering, and this is a team that is not protecting its top prospects, top 10 prospects, and their top 10 prospects are getting through the Rule 5 draft without being selected. This is a really bad system. Uh, that is why Clintac is gone. Uh, the drafts were pretty horrific. Um, they have a slew of first rounders that didn't work out. Uh, you know, Bomb was a first rounder. King Ray, I believe, was a second rounder. But a lot of this is a team that's been put together through signings or trades. Uh, looking at fan graphs right now, the roster resources, you get on McCutcheon signing, Bomb draft, Harper signing, Hoskins draft, Segura trade, Knapp draft, Kingery draft, Quinn draft. So, I know you're out there going, hey, that's like more than half the roster with draft. Yeah, but 
they're looking to upgrade center field and catcher right now. Those are more, they're there because they don't have any other options. And when you look at, you know, their pitching staff, Nola draft, Zach Wheeler free agent, uh, Eflin trade, Velasquez trade, Spencer Howard draft. And I guess the bigger issue is more, you know, someone like Mickey Moniak has not worked out. A lot of their second round picks, like I think of like Kyle Gowdy one year, and they had all of these guys they took in the second round just did not work. The year before Clintac got there, they took Cornelius Randolph, not a guy I was super high on in a really deep draft, and that did not work out. And that's kind of their problem is they were taking some of the first round, you know, bombs worked out, but most of their first rounders, we just have not seen a great return in value on at this point in time. I mean, they went out and added Ian Hamilton on waivers. He has a good chance to work out of their pen. And then they had Kyle Holder is probably going to be the number one utility guy. They got him in the rule five. Could a trade make sense for the Indians? Could a trade make sense for Lindor? Maybe. Let's be honest. I still am not sure about the entire monetary situation here. But Dombrowski likes to go out and make a big move. The biggest trade asset, as it were, that we know is out there is Francisco Lindor. Juan Segura, according to the MLB trade value site, has a negative value. I think it's because he's owed $30 million. Uh, he, he's his. I went and looked him up on Baseball Savant very quickly. He actually had some of the best outs above average. Like he was a very uh, good defender at short. And he's someone who doesn't strike out much. But last year, weirdly, he walked at a higher percentage than he's at. Like typically, that's something in the blue for him. It was in the red last year, like a massive change for that. He's an interesting shortstop. And it essentially comes down to like, would the Indians take Segura? Um, and how much value does Segura have? Now, he, as I mentioned, makes a set 14.85. So the Indians would, instead of getting something like, you know, how much do they really need in terms of more money saved? Um, and would they reinvest that money elsewhere? Because if they would honestly take that $15 million and invest it in free agency, that's probably more worthwhile than Juan Segura. I don't know if they would do that, which again, then I don't know if they're even willing to take on Zikara's contract. It's all hard to judge. Um, maybe it's even one of those deals where you can get them to pick up a little bit of Zikara's money. Like, <laughs> But that's going to be hard to do while taking on Lindor. So it might be something where it's Lindor for Segura, essentially saving the Indians about 6 to $7 million this year. And yes, there'll be more parts. Uh, and then next year, they have to pick up you know, half the salary, something like that, uh, where essentially it's uh, an even exchange of total money over the two years or something like that. And uh, yeah, that that could make some sense. Now, lose, using the trade value site, basically, if you were the Indians, uh, you know, Stott, who I have talked about many times, uh, the shortstop, Bryson Stott from UNLV, I like him a lot. I think he's a very much an Indians type of guy. Uh, Adam Hazley could make some sense. He's a guy who's always had uh, WRC pluses, runs created pluses, uh, well over 100 in the minors. And right now he's not necessarily projected as a starter, did not get a whole extended opportunity with him last year, five years of team control. For a team like the Indians, it could be starting Mercado in center field and have no idea if he can actually be a starter. Now, adding someone like Hazley makes some sense. And then honestly, at that point in time, the valuation because of the negative value of Segura to balance out that deal for Lindor would also include Micabel, which, I mean, that would be fantastic. I mean, I, I would personally love that deal, adding Hazley, who can help you now as an outfielder, uh, Micabel, who would become one of your top pitching prospects in system, Bryson Stott, who gives you a guy who in a year could probably be in the big leagues, probably needs another year of seasoning in the minors, but uh, 
shortstop, second base, could be all over. He's like a plus version of uh, Owen Miller. You know, it, it's interesting to look at. I, I don't think that's necessarily the biggest need. And with them having so few assets, I have, I'm have i very curious what they will do. I know they're not going to stand pat here. You know, maybe also you could flip them hedges as a backup uh, type who they could go out and use hedges and nap in some kind of, uh, you know, play the hot hand or see what you have. Nap's numbers last year were not terrible when given an opportunity uh, as a hitter. Hedges obviously would be the better defender. Just some things to consider. But in general, it's a team that needs to add relief help. The Indians don't have a ton of depth there. Uh, starting pitching help, possibly, but maybe not the biggest need for them, depending on what they do with Wheeler. And part of me does wonder, too, just to loop back to this initial thought, if the looking to move Wheeler was not so much because they're cash-strapped, cash strapped but the fact that they are a little bit tight they would like to use that money on real muto and the pitching market this year is awful it's trevor bauer and then hmm you know like i who who do you want to put there it could be honestly um one of the players imported from japan at the kbo and we know the track record on that has been up and down so zach wheeler could be a very valuable trade asset to the teams that could afford him. So part of me wonders if Wheeler being mentioned on the trade block was more to do with hoping to get free up some money to keep Real Muto and being able to get value for pitching in a market that is currently bereft of pitching. Just an idea. Um, We'll see what happens there. It could make sense for a trade with the Indians. I don't think it makes the most logical sense, though, based on team needs. So... Philadelphia, always keep in mind because no one knows what the good old Trader Dave is going to do. He and Jerry DePoto have never met a trade they don't want to at least see if they can figure out. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. Remember to rate and review, to go and download daily. That helps the show so much. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Tribe.